the next couple weeks. Um, just so you know, I know I am aware that this is the last Wednesday of the month. Typically, we do these as a reach night, and it's a little bit longer. We're not doing that tonight. Don't don't throw stones because in two weeks we're going to be doing a big one for Christmas, and we'll be celebrating. Um, especially somebody in the back who runs our sound and things. He said, "Don't." let the November birthdays go unrecognized for two straight years. Don't worry. If you had a November birthday, we will recognize you and December all at once at the December Reach Night on December the 14th. That's when we're doing it. We're going to have a bunch of Christmas-themed games and all kinds of crazy Christmas-themed things going on that night, and we'll do all that together. That being said, next Wednesday, we will not meet in here because the Kids Choir is doing a performance, and so a lot of you guys may have siblings in that, even if you don't. If you'd like to see what our church is doing with the little kids and their kids choir, it's going to be a really good little show. They're going to be doing that on Kid Street. So we're not meeting in here next week. We're going to go support them and be in Kid Street next Wednesday night. So just so you know that. All right. Here are the other announcements so you know what's going on. This Sunday, Connect Groups have Christmas parties. It's the last Connect Groups of 2022 because after this, every Sunday night, the rest of December, there's something going on at the church that's Christmas themed and related. So this is our one Sunday to do that. So, middle school, you guys are going to meet downstairs in the cafeteria because of some different uh, activities shifting around. We're moving downstairs, 5 to 6.30. Uh, boys, we're going to ask you guys to bring a drink to share. Ladies, we're going to ask you guys to bring a snack, any type of snack, whether it be salty or sweet. It's up to you. Um, we'll probably the rest. The Epic Saran Wrap Ball, that if you've been around in the middle school ministry for any amount of years, the Epic Saran Wrap Ball game that we always do every year that takes like an hour to complete, We'll be back. Hopefully it's not going to take an hour. We're going to do that. We're going to do a Christmas devotion. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll have prizes and stuff for you guys. So that's happening for you. High school. You guys are going to meet as normal at our house, 5 to 7 p.m., like a normal connect group. We're doing a party as well. Dudes, we're asking you to bring something salty. Ladies, bring something sweet. So we, that's how we see it. And, and we see the guys are salty, the ladies are sweet. So that's why we see it that way. With you also bring either Christmas socks or a gift under $5 or a $5 gift for a gift exchange. We're going to do that. Um, if you just run in and bring a $5 gift card, that's super easy. You could just do that. So that's for high school, connect group. Uh, that's going on. Already talked about next Wednesday, Kids Street, not in here. Kids Choir Performance. Lastly, okay, listen closely to this because I'm going to try to explain this to not confuse you because it is very confusing. Okay, so. Last year, um, and every year, hopefully, as long as I'm here, we're going to get to do this yearly, we went to Operation Christmas Child and helped pack boxes and shoe boxes at one of their processing centers. The way this happens, there's like this, this website you got to jump on, there's a date, I jump on at 8 a.m., like at the, when it immediately opens, and everybody else and their brother apparently does it too, and so this year, I got shafted, and I only got 15 spots, and we're not going to Charlotte, we're going to Boone, and we're doing it in the evening, not the morning. So all that to say... I only have a limited number of spots, so here's the most fair way that I can figure out how to do this for this year because there's not a lot of opportunities. So tomorrow, I'm going to send out a link to parents of juniors and seniors, and I'll post it on our website. If you are a junior and senior, tomorrow you will have the opportunity to sign up if you'd like to go to Boone and Operation Christmas Child on Saturday, December 17th, Okay. You'll have the opportunity first. You get first shot at it because you're seniority, and if you're a senior, this is the last chance you get to do it with us. So I'm giving you the first shot. Now, registration will stay open for you, juniors and seniors, after that. However, the next day, I'm, off, I'm opening up to our sophomores and freshmen, all right? So on December the 2nd, which is a Friday, Friday, everybody in high school will have the opportunity to sign up. After that, it's still open for everybody, 
But on Saturday, December the 3rd, middle school also has the opportunity to sign up, okay? Now, whatever's left at that point, if they grab it, then you had your chance, seniors, juniors, sophomores, and freshmen. Now, it may not seem fair, but it's the best way we could do it because some of these people are graduating. They won't have a chance. If you're in middle school, hopefully you stick with us and you'll have like six years of opportunity to go to Operation Christmas Child. And hopefully I'll get more spots in the future. But man, people are like vultures on those things. So anyway, um, so that's how we're doing that. I'll be putting that out tomorrow. And then on Friday, I'll do the same thing. And then on uh, Saturday, the same thing. Okay. That was a lot. Hopefully you followed. If you didn't, there will be a test later and I hope you pass. Okay. You can open your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to cover a chunk of it tonight um, that actually has a lot to do with Christmas, which is really neat how God worked that out. But um, I thought one of the things that I think is helpful in teaching Scripture is having a visual and having something that will stick with you. And this one I think is going to stick with you because anytime you come to this building, there is something that you will always face the moment you show up on campus here at Triad. What'd you say? Dennis. Not Dennis. Although he is kind of omnipresent, and so maybe you would. No. There are geese everywhere. Now, they're super annoying. And so I, my, my hope in this crazy little illustration is that every time you show up and you see geese, you're going to think back to 1 John chapter 3. And let's see if my brain works in a weird enough way to connect with your brains. Okay. This is what I found out also, by the way, about geese. Did you know that the Ohio Geese Control, like in Ohio, they actually have the Geese Control Police? This is crazy. Um, just in case, you, I, I have this if you need to look at this later. It's what to do when geese attack. So if you've been curious about like what you should do when geese attack, here's what you need to do. Uh, it says, during the spring nesting season, geese can be aggressive. Here's how to reduce the risk. If you are threatened by a goose, stare down your attacker. Don't squint or close your eyes. So you got to get your eyes like wide open and you got to stare at those things. As researching this, I found out geese have really good eyesight. So if you open your eyes wide, they will see the whites of your eyes and they will back down, maybe. Slowly back away. Do not turn your back. Maintain eye contact with the bird. So you got it? So, so if, Austin, if you were the goose, I'm going to give you the crazy eyes, but I'm going to walk backwards like this. Okay? All right, we good. All right. Don't act hostile by kicking or hitting towards the goose. This will agitate him further. And the female may leave her nest to join the attack. That's when it gets real, y'all. Like when the female mama goose shows up, you know it's about to go down. So don't, don't get that thing mad. Okay. I love this one. If a goose flies towards your face, duck. Not, <laughs> not like... Uh, he has funny. I thought it was funny too. Glad you guys are on the same page. Duck or move away at a 90 degree angle while still facing the goose. Okay, so again, Austin is my goose. I'm a duck, but then I'm going to move at a 90 degree angle either way from him while maintaining eye contact. If all else fails, um, this will not work, but uh, call the Ohio Geese Control for a site analysis at 877-914-3373. If some of you guys jotted that down, you can put that in your contacts and see if you can get a free consultation. Um, they, they actually do have that on here. Um, I don't like those geese. And actually, there have been times when I've driven into the parking lot here and I have swerved 
to see if they would move. They are the most aggressive yet arrogant birds. They won't move. They just think that they own this joint, and they are a problem. They are a nuisance. I also found out by studying this that if I were to purposefully run over one of them, I could actually be put in jail or fined. True story. If you didn't know that, because of some random uh, migratory bird act that was enacted back in the 1920s, by the U.S. Forestry and Agricultural Services or whoever. I probably got the department wrong. If I purposely kill one of those birds, I could be fined or see jail time. So just FYI, uh, stay on the lookout. Um, geese are aggressive. I thought about the cute little ones that also look like geese, but they are way better ducks. Ducks are the best. I love little ducklings. Geese and ducks, um, they are not the same in terms of their aggression, but they both have something interesting. Um, I think we have a picture of it, but you guys know, like the geese do it in our parking lot. If you see little gooselings or goslings, I don't know how, which, which, one, is it, which one is it? I don't know. Goslings? Not Ryan. Not Ryan, ladies. Um, gooselings. Goslings. <laughs> okay. So, little ducks follow mama duck. Follow. Here, here's where the it, here's the visual that I want you guys to stick with, and we're gonna go into First John chapter three from this visual. Okay. Little little mama little mama duck has got her ducklings, or mama goose has got her gooseling goslings. Okay, and they're following her. Now there is a thing in nature that is really amazing how God made these creatures. Birds especially have this. It's called imprinting. So when a baby is born, the very first image of its sight, and they've, they've done more studies, it's not just sight, it's also smell, it's also feel, it's also kind of all the senses of the animal, but once they see that first thing, once they hatch, they imprint on it, and they attach themselves to that thing, and they follow it. The reason they do that is because it keeps them out of danger from predators, so they don't go off the beaten track, they don't follow away from wherever mama is leading, and mama is typically leading them to safer places, so that's why you see when ducks go across the road, they are in a line, single file, like kindergartners going from one class to another in an elementary school. That's what they are doing. You don't see them breaking, breaking rank. That is instinctual. They are imprinted to follow. It made me think about what are we imprinted to follow. So I want you to think about that. So what is it that imprints on you and what do you follow? What do you follow after? What is the thing that you have kind of seen as the thing that's going to take you to safe harbor or take you to where you want to go? And what are you going to seek and follow after? Like those little gooselings or goslings and the little ducklings, you're, you're following something too. And no matter if you think that you are so super independent or you're a free thinker or whatever, every single person submits to some type of a leadership and they follow in order after that thing. So what is it that is imprinted on you that you can trust it, that you can follow it and go to that place. So as you read First John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 4. I want you to keep that image in your mind. Here's what it says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. That being Jesus, if you didn't catch on, that's Jesus. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So a couple things really quickly that I just have to say as caveats before we kind of get into some of the points of this. Number one is you have to understand that anytime it says this, and John has done this a couple times, but again, even if this is your first time here, because I know we've got a couple people, this is the first time you're jumping in and hearing this, just because he says that you will not make a practice of sin doesn't mean that Christians live perfect lives, okay? I think that, that has to be said. Some of you guys know that to be true, but I need you to hear that, that it doesn't mean that once you come to know Christ that you live a perfect sinless life. You could read this and take it literally and think, oh, wow, he just said that anybody who follows Jesus is not going to continue on sinning. That's not what it means, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but I want to make sure you understand that. When he talks about this, he talks about it's a practice. Who makes a practice of something? Some of you guys practice sports and you practice other things. You practice your math, you practice all this other stuff, but to practice something is to make something. It's to produce. It's to create. The word that is used here is to make a path. Again, think of those little birds following the mama bird. They're following the path that has been laid out before them. They are making that path wherever they want to go. If you think about a path, typically you think about it in the woods. You think about clearing away brush. You think about pulling away branches. You've got to make way. You've got to clear out to get through to whatever the destination is that you want to get to. That's how you make a path, right? And sometimes it requires planning. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes thinking. It takes looking around your surroundings and seeing what you don't want in your way so you can clear out a path. So when he says this, he says it a couple times in verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Anyone who practices sinning again is of the devil, in verse 8, who has been sinning from the beginning. What he is saying is, is that if you continue on sinful behavior, sinful life, and it is the theme of your life, not a snapshot, not a moment, not just a little uh, detail, it is the overall theme of your life, then that would be a sign, that should be a picture to you that something's not right. That something in your life is off, right? That something is not in step with Christ. That your relationship with Christ, that something is amiss. If you're making a path towards that, according to Scripture, this is how I I phrased it for myself, and I hope this kind of helps you put some framework in your arms around it. According to Scripture, a believer in Christ is not crafting, not breaking away the branches and doing all this stuff to seek out sin in their life. That would be habitual. That would be that you are actively finding a way to build a path towards sinful things. That would be practicing sin. Or to continue down the road of sin. Which, by the way, the destruction that awaits you is the destination of that path. That's what sin leads you to. It is a path towards destruction. Scripture is clear about that. That is why Christ came and that is why Christ doesn't want that for you and that's why we talk about it so much because we don't want any of us to fall into it it's a path that leads to death not life 
And so this is what scripture is saying. To practice something is to clear away. And you think about it. Like you, you know when you're trying to make plans to do something, you're going to clear away whatever's in your way, remove all the obstacles, all the hurdles to get to what you want. And if you're doing that to get to something that is anti-God, is sinful, that is against what God's word says, then you have made a practice of sinning. You've cleared the path so that you can get to that. Instead of clearing the path so you can get to God. That, that's the difference. That, that's what he's after here. Let's define a couple things for you. Lawlessness. He says it right there in verse 4. Sin is lawlessness. He's not talking about the law of the Old Testament. Essentially, what he is saying is lawlessness is just direct opposition towards God. That's what sin is. It's just op- opposition towards God. You, you directly oppose whatever God has said, whatever God is about. You oppose it. You directly oppose it. That's lawlessness. Righteousness, on the other hand, is right standing with God. So, so this, this passage really breaks it down into two simple little categories, right? It, it's really not that difficult. He says, little children, in verse 7, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, as Christ is righteous. Christ is right before God. He is perfect before God. So if you practice righteousness, who's in front of you? Who's the mama duck leading you on that path? It's Christ. If you practice sin, who's leading you in that scenario? Well, if you haven't caught on, it's right here later on in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. It's really that obvious. It is that clear. Who is your leader? Is it Christ? Because if it's Christ then it's going to lead you into righteousness. And you should see righteousness happening in your life in different ways. Again, not saying that you're awesome. Not saying that you're always right. Not saying that you don't sometimes mess up and slip up. Because again, you're going to have episodes of sin that still get into your life. That's the unfortunate life that we have to live until we get to heaven as believers. It's frustrating. We hate it. We don't understand it sometimes. Sin is confusing. Sin doesn't make sense. It's irrational. And it makes us really upset. It's frustrating dealing with that. But those are moments, not the overall theme of your life. But if you want to continue to directly oppose God, and you're going to build a path that actually directly opposes God, and by the way, that means that the path that you build sometimes gets in the way of other people's paths. People are trying to clear out a path to get to God, and you, in your direct opposition to God, are clearing your own path towards sin, and you're intersecting their path and getting in their way towards God. You're creating stumbling blocks. You're creating difficulties. You're, you're creating drama. You're creating all this stuff, and you're getting in the way of somebody else's pursuit of Christ. That in and of itself can happen, and that shouldn't be the life of the believer, because we'll get into that at the very end. That's the takeaway that he wants you to have. So the question that I wrote down for myself, and I wrote it in red for you guys too, is what's the destination at the end of the path you're building? Just think about it. Like everything that you build up in your life, everything that you clear out, everything that you make plans for, what are you clearing the way? What are you making way for so that you can get to? What is it that you're ultimately driving towards? What is it? Because either you're following Christ and you're going to see righteousness growing, or you're a son or a child of the enemy of Satan, and you will see lawlessness grow. It's the two. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, because God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is, this is the key. 
what is imprinted on you. You have to see yourself as like this, this hatchling, right? Like you, you, you've been born spiritually, right? So, so you, you jump out of that and what is imprinted on you? What matters the most to you? What, what do you feel like gives you the most confidence, security, and everything else? And what do you wrap yourself in? For those little duck birds, for those geese birds, like they wrap themselves up in their mom and they follow them wherever they go. They trust. Mom's not going to walk off a cliff because that go with them, right? What are you latched on to? And trusting it's going to take you where it's going to take you. That's what this passage really wants you to get to thinking of. Now, what's really neat about this, and I think how God works this all out is, is beyond me. But then in, in two places in this passage, it talks about something that connects to what we're about to step into with Christmas time. And this is the encouraging side. So if that was all the bad news, let me now give you the good news. The bad news is, is that if you are caught in a path that is clearing the way to make way for sin, and that's the destination you're headed after, and you feel like, man, I've been imprinted with the enemy. How do I change that? That's like basically wired into me to follow the enemy, to be a child of literally the devil. I, can't, I don't know how to break away from that. This is where it gets good, and this is where there is hope, because every single one of us who has ever been a follower of the enemy, and that's all of us when we're born, by the way, to now be a son or child of, of God has seen this miraculous event take place where what was once imprinted on us has now changed. Something new has happened because we've been born again. I want you to see two things that happen, and I'm going to take you to verse 5 and verse 8. Verse 5, let me read it again. You know that he, this is talking about Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, Jesus, was to destroy the works of the devil. So you see Jesus is talked about twice in appearing. And two things that he does when he appeared. And, and this is what it means for Christmas. It's not just that he was humble in a stable. And there's so much to this. I'm not trying to reduce that everything that Jesus did into these two verses. Because there's way more that Jesus did when he came on Christmas. All right, but these are two things that are really awesome, that are good news for you, that if you understand this, it can change everything. And if you're imprinted with sin, he can change that and make you a son of God or a child of God. It's what he says. Number one, he takes away sins because in him there is no sin. So when he appeared, he took away sin. He came to forgive us of our sin. That's why he came. This is the whole reason that Jesus is born on Christmas Day is so that he could forgive us of our sin, take away our sin. This is why he appeared, in order to take it away. In him there is no sin. This is basically saying that he lived the perfect life that you and I are never going to live, that never could live. It's impossible for us to live. That everything that he made way for was making way for God to get more glory, for holiness. He was making way for God's holiness to be shown on earth. That's what he was all about. That's the path he was clearing out. That's the destination that he was always on. The destination he was on from the moment that he stepped foot into, that, into the baby and into the, into the world, into human flesh. The moment he did that, all he was doing was clearing a path to hit the cross in Jerusalem. From day one, that's where he was going. That's what it was all about. And he did it perfectly for you and for me. The second one, so not only just take away your sin and forgive you of it, because that, that's amazing in and of itself. The second one is, it says that he came to destroy 
power of sin. Again, in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is, this is such a cool word, and I want you to get, to get it. The word destroy is actually the same word as loosing something. They would use this word as if um, like a donkey or a horse was tied up to a post, and it was trapped. It couldn't move, right? Like that post is buried in the ground. The donkey is attached to it. And there was like something or a bridle or whatever, and it was looped around the donkey or the horse's neck, and it couldn't move. That word, destroy, is to lose something. It's to unwind it, to unwrap it, to unravel it so that it no longer has the control over whatever it has its hook around or its, its noose around, essentially. So, so get this. This is the picture that Scripture is trying to paint for you. Jesus, when he appeared and he died on the cross, he not only forgave you of your sin, but he loosed the power of sin over your life. You imagine a noose hanging around your neck that at any moment the enemy could just pull and it's over for you. Jesus loosed that. Sin no longer controls you. No longer keeps you tied to the post or to the old things of your life that you were once stuck in. That you feel like, man, I just can't get away from that. You're no longer stuck to that. You've been loosed from it. That's what it meant for Jesus to come here, to forgive you of your sin, not just to forgive you, but to then to remove the power that sin has over your life. He's loosed you from the power of sin. You don't have to stay there anymore. If you imagine you are like that donkey or that horse that is stuck and tied to a post and you want to you run free, you see everybody else doing things, and you just, man, I just want to run with everybody else. I just want to get out of here. I want to get away from this. You're no longer attached to it. If you're in Christ... You may, you may sometimes put the rope back on yourself, but guess what? It's not attached to that post anymore. You don't have to stay there. You're free. You can get away from the sinful, the trap that sin had on your life. Some of you are like, man, no, no, there's no way. Because you don't understand. I've been, I've been like this as long as I can humanly, physically remember. What I'm telling you is, you don't understand that the Son of God appeared to take away your sin and to loose you from the power of it. The God himself, not, not some creation of God, God himself took on flesh to do this for you, to make you righteous, to loose the works of the devil. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I was rereading it earlier this week, and it, and it just hit me that it clicks with this passage. But in Hebrews 10, it talks about Jesus in this way. It says this, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Here's the beauty of what this is talking about. There used to be an old system where priests would have to kill an animal and they'd have to sacrifice it for the sins of the people. After they would do that, you know what they had to do? They had to come back and do it again, and do it again, and do it again. They had to continue working and doing it again and doing it again. The beauty of this passage is that Jesus offered himself as a single sacrifice for all sin, all of your sin, everything you've ever done, all of it, complete. And then the next action that he took is he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. You know why he sits down? Because there's no more work to be done. There's no more offering for your sin. Your sin was completely paid for in that moment when he did it. There is no more work for him to do. That's why he can sit down. And then it goes on to say that as he sits there, he waits for a time that all of his enemies, including Satan, will come under him as a footstool. They will all bow down to him. There's no more work to be done, and he still waits to pray. 
Then it goes on to say this. With that reality in mind that Jesus paid for all of your sin and he sits down, it says this. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us and tells you that are in Christ something really important. He combines two things from Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. There's that word lawless again. Lawlessness is sin. He says, I won't remember that anymore. Those who are in Christ, those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior, those who have seen that his sacrifice on the cross was enough because he sat down after that was done, this is what I will do. I will write my laws on their hearts and on their minds, meaning that God will make it possible for you to be righteous. He will enable you to follow him. He will enable you to enjoy seeking after him. He will in, you will now seek to clear a path towards righteousness instead of lawlessness. He forgives you of your sin and loosed you from the power of sin. He didn't free you so that you could just do whatever you want. He freed you so that you could pursue righteousness. That's why he freed you. And he reminds you by saying, I will remember your sin and your lawless deeds no more. Why? Because what he said in the verses before, Jesus paid it all when he sacrificed himself on the cross. It was done. That's why he sat down at the right hand of God. These are good things that Jesus wants for you. And he also wants you to have confidence in your salvation. That's why at the last verse, back in 1 John chapter 3, the passage that we were reading, says this. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Here, here's, this, is, this is a really good litmus test, and this is not to freak you out and scare you and make you doubt your salvation. This is for you to have confidence. Those of you who are in Christ, this is for you to have confidence in your salvation. Are you seeing righteousness happening in your life? Are you practicing righteousness? Are you clearing a way, clearing a path to get towards righteousness? All that means is are you clearing a path to look more like Jesus in your day-to-day life? Again, I, I, I know that you're going to mess up. I mess up. You have hard days. You have good days. You have bad days. Okay? But, but are you clearing a path overall? Is the theme of your life to clear a path to get to Christ? Is that what you're trying to do? Are you practicing righteousness? Are you trying to be like him? Are you seeking him? And then finally, the second test that Jesus wants you to have confidence in your salvation is, do you love others who are in Christ? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love the people in your church, the people who proclaim Christ? Do you see that no matter how different you are, that you have one thing in common, that you were both sinners saved by grace? So no matter what else has been going on before that, no matter all the things that could carry on Monday to Saturday, that on Sunday when you see that person or on Wednesday when you see that person, you can look past those things for a moment and see, man, I may not get them. May not, I may not like some of the things that they are into. I may not like, like their personality or they just have that kind of thing that we just butt heads. But at the end of the day, I can see, man, like they are in Christ. I'm in Christ. The same Holy Spirit that talks to me about my sins being forgotten and my uh, lawless deeds being remembered no more, same for them. So we got that in common. Let's start there. That's the test. And that's what he wants you to have confidence in your salvation. He doesn't want you to walk through life and go, man, am I saved? I don't really know. He wants to make it really clear for you so that you can live a free life, free from the bondage of sin, being loosed from the power of heaviness. 
That's why Jesus came. That's what you get to celebrate at Christmas. The Son of God came to forgive you of your sin and to loose you from the power of sin. Let's pray. Lord, as we, we go into this Christmas season and we think about you, um, so many people talk about you, so many songs are sung about you. Lord, I just pray that these two realities would ring and, and be such a clear reminder for each of us that you came to forgive us of our sin and you came to destroy the works of the enemy. Destroy the work of sin in our lives. Loose us from the bondage of sin so that it may no longer have a hold on us. God, I just thank you for that reality. Lord, and I pray, just as Paul said this in, in Colossians 2, Lord, I just thank you that you said this. You've canceled the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. You set it aside, you nailed it to the cross, and you disarmed the rulers and authorities, and you put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in Christ. God, I thank you for what you've done. You started that work on the cross by first coming to us and completed it by staying faithful, being perfect, being righteous all the way to the end, obedient unto death, so that we may be seen as righteousness in your sight. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for loosing us from the power of sin. God, if there are any in here who are stuck and they are trapped in that, may they be reminded and filled with hope tonight that you can transform them and you can write your laws on their hearts and their minds. You alone will do the work if they cry out to you to turn away from their sin. They get off of the path they've been walking down. You put them on the new path, Lord, with a clear path towards righteousness. God, do that in our lives and continue to lead us more towards you. We pray these things in your son's beautiful name. Amen. All right, guys.